All right. Well, welcome. My name is Ben. Uh, I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor. There you guys are uh, here at Downtown Community Church. I just want to say um, welcome. If it's your first time here, if it's your first time back in a while, we know um, summertime, it's a mixture of kind of some local folk and population and a lot of people who are brand new to the, to the town, the city. Perhaps you're um, dropping in for a summer session or something along that, uh, those lines. We want you to know, whoever you are, wherever you are, man, one of the things that we love is when we all come together, different people, places, and spaces represented, um, all under the banner and to focus on Jesus. And so um, if while we're here, there's anything that we can do to love you or to serve you in any type of way, um, we would love nothing more than the opportunity to do that. Um, and we're going through the book of Ephesians, and I want to tell you a little bit about kind of where we are dropping in. Because if it's your first time, we're like on the second part of the f- fifth chapter of Ephesians, um, of about four different parts that we're going to go through Ephesians 5. So every time it's been about a half a chapter, but as I was walking through these verses, I was thinking, man, these are like, these are, are beautiful, helpful verses insofar they instruct um, how we are to live. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to get cracking. Jesus, thank you for the time that we have together. I pray that right now you would quiet our minds and our hearts to focus on you, God. Whatever is happening right now, Whatever's happening in our lives, whatever's happening in the world, whatever things that are continually pulling and distracting us, God, I pray that you would quiet the internal dialogue of potential worries, stresses, fears, anxieties, that we can just focus and see you clearly. For those of us who have been following you for a long time, Jesus, would you speak clearly to us? And for those of us who are here who are just investigating, trying to figure out this whole Jesus, God, Bible thing is real, God, would you speak to us individually? And to your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Ephesians is, a, um, is an interesting book, and we talked about this a couple of the first weeks, but Ephesians was wrote to this church at Ephesus. They didn't just think, what's a weird name that we can call a book? Um, most of them were letters written by a guy named Paul. Paul, backstory, hated Christians, persecuted Christians, was there when the very first Christian was killed. But in light of that, became a Christian, incredible conversion, and all of a sudden Paul becomes the predominant church planter in basically all of Christendom. He talked to Jesus' disciples. You guys remember those dudes who like continually like took an L, right? They were the dudes who just constantly, Jesus said to do this, and they would just miss it, and they'd come and they'd say, Jesus, and Peter would walk on the water, but like, this is awesome, and then he'd drown, right? Or they would walk, and there'd be a bunch of people that would be hanging out, and they'd look at Jesus and say, how are you going to feed them? And he says, you feed them, and they're like... No, you feed them, right? And so they were constantly doing that. Well, so Paul took the disciples who followed Jesus and basically said, y'all take Jerusalem. I'm going to take essentially the rest of the rim all around the Mediterranean. And then their time and day was the primary church planner. Not only that, but wrote a lot of what we have in the New Testament. And here's the relevance of that. As Paul is writing, he, is, he does a beautiful, masterful job of explaining to the church at Ephesus, to then explain it to other churches, I think in some senses, in some ways, things that he has been revealed, uh, things that have been revealed to him and things that were helpful for him in terms of his, his conversion. And what I mean by that is all of a sudden there's this big light that shows, and all of a sudden he's blinded, and all of a sudden he has this experience with, with Jesus, if you're familiar with his Damascus Road experience, where God speaks to him directly. And blinds him with the light. Well, Paul's picking up on this imagery of light in the verses that we're going to read. But what you need to know about Ephesians is the first half, basically the first half of it, is all about our new position in Christ. Who we are in Christ. And how we come to that position in Christ. Um, Put succinctly, or fairly succinctly, what religion says is be a better person, be a better person, be a better person, work really hard, go to church, 
Be as moral of a person as you can, and if you're a good enough person, God will be happy with you. What Paul says and what Jesus would say is different. What he would say is simple. It was, in essence, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. We're not good people because we all have this common thing called sin. It's the common human condition. And because of that, we are alienated from God, but God has made a way for us to be connected with him, and that's through the death of his son, Jesus, that there was a payment that needed to be paid because in kind of a cosmic way, we had sinned and violated against God. And so now we, because of Jesus, not because of the things that we've done, have a right standing with God. Well, that's going to be really important for today. Because the verses that we're going to open up with in chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 8. And this is what he says. He says, for at one time, now this is, this is again, dropping in almost in the middle of a sentence. So all right, let me go back and read verse 7. He says, therefore, do not come partners with them. Now that also doesn't make a lot of sense because what's the therefore, therefore? Well, the therefore is therefore as a hinge between what he just talked about, which was basically, hey, as people who believe in God, who have this new position that we are now people of God, we are sons and daughters adopted into the family of God, what we ought to do now is live and walk in a way of love. In a way that we love and we serve and we defer to the people around us. That we honor God by the way that we love others. And then he goes through a list of sins that we ought not to be involved with. And it's not just this list, although this is a good list. He then kind of, this list is representative of a whole lot of other things. And the interesting and significant part of that to me is that when I view an act of love to you, it's something that I do for you. But when I engage with sin personally, I view that as my personal holiness, not having anything to do with you. He says, no, 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 no. When we are disobedient, it's actually acts of unlovingness. And if you think about it, most of the times and the things and the places that we sin have a sense of selfishness wrapped up in them, so much so that they're actually hurtful and harming and damaging to other people, even if indirect, kind of like implicit ways. So in that sense, he says, okay, so therefore, 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 all these sins, all this stuff, don't be partners with them. Don't like, you know, if, if everybody's basically going and, and doing, I don't know if people do Jaeger bombs anymore, but you shouldn't. Um, but, you know, if everybody's doing it, like, you don't just be like, yeah, bro, I'm in. You know, like, you just kind of say, okay, I'm not going to partner with that. I'm not going to partake in the same thing as that. And if you don't know what that means, then bless your heart. I just want you to know that. <clears throat> so he says, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here's why I say all that stuff before. What he doesn't say is, for at one time you walked in darkness, and now you walk in light. At one point, you used to do these type of things, but now you start to do these type of things. He says, no, 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 no. This is who you are, not what you do. This is who you are, not what you do. Who you are now is light. Who you used to be was darkness. It's a switch, not of action. It's a switch of identity, which is a huge shift and a huge switch. Because if it's action-based for me to live in light and to live as light, I have to do something. But the acknowledgement of the Christian life is I have a new identity that I am somebody new. Not have to try to act and to become somebody new. Now let me tell you why this matters. Because I think one of the fundamental things that we struggle with as Christians is kind of two things. Number one, how do we live in a way of personal holiness? Number two, how do we live in a way that impacts others for the kingdom of God? 
If we were to kind of almost drill down to most of the sermons, most of the thoughts, most of the content that most of us have consumed over the last year in a Christian space, they're either how to sin less often or how to influence people for the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because what he says here is this. I want you to know something. Before we get to that, before we get to that, there's an identity shift that changes that you don't have to do this stuff to become a son of light or a daughter of light. He says you already are. So here's the good news, is if you have placed your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, the fact that you and I are both sinful, we're all sinful, and that we can't make ourselves unsinful, the only person that could unsin us is God, then what I then come to the realization of is I don't try to have to be somebody, I am somebody. And so his next statement is simply this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. By the way, these next three weeks, the reason we're breaking it with three different things is because first he says walk in love. Now he says walk in light. Next week he'll say walk in wisdom. We're going to talk about what those three things are. But as he looks at it, he says, okay, so I want you to walk in light because you are light. I want you to walk in this because you are this. Let me draw a little bit of a contrast why I think this is very, very important. We live in a world in a context where we're not actually the people that we want to be, but we love to project that we are. You don't have to look any further than the 4th of July to see that. I don't know any, anybody's Instagram who was like, dude, I am alone in my apartment. Check out my cat, you know? And if you are, thank you for being honest. Right, but we have these kind of like curated versions of ourselves, and I'm going to project who I am. I'm going to have this filtered version of who I am, and I'm going to work diligently to actually become the person that I want to become. Um, and I just do want to say this also. What's funny is we have a pretty young congregation, and so the young congregation, we kind of get like the, I don't know, the millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, whatever it is, like kind of get a bad rap for being like, oh, the technology, the, the, the curating of social media of who you wish you could and should be, and all that stuff's true. But let's be honest, every generation does this. Our generation, well, I say our, I don't know where I am. I'm like somewhere in this continuum of things. But I'll just say probably the current generation, they are very good at exposing their flaws in very safe ways. But what's not safe is to put on, po- on social media the things that we're not really secure about, like the fact that I stood home with my cat on 4th of July. Previous generations did the same thing. You just had familial problems and didn't tell anybody and pretend like you were a perfect family. It's the same projection. You just didn't have social media. What's interesting about this is for a group of people who spend most of their lives trying to become something that we're not, trying to become the curated, perfected version of ourselves. what he's saying is here is, I want you to realize that you are this. This is your identity. Now just simply live into that. So I think the first question we have to ask is, when you became a Christian, like, did you not have a general, not, not, not just a general agreement with God, but when you became a Christian, did it shift your identity and how you saw yourself? I was this, I am this. I was that, I am that. I was death, now I am life. I was darkness, I am now light. I now see myself as a different person and my identity differently because of Jesus. And let me tell you why I think that fundamentally shifts things. Because... 
it brings us to the awareness and the realization that the, that the pressure to actually live out this life is not a pressure to live out this life in light towards God. It's actually simply an idea of not creating ways that we're intentionally covering the light that we already have. That was a little bit complex, so let me unpack that a little bit. Conceptually not complex, but pragmatically. Jesus was talking one day, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, talking to his disciples. And he said, let your light shine. Let your light shine. It's a city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither does anybody light a lamp and put a bowl under it or over it. You might put a bowl under it. I don't know. But nobody lights a lamp and put a, puts a bowl over it. Why? Because of the fact that that's going to cover the light. He says, in the same way, this is what I want you to do. I want you to let your light shine. Now, I don't think anybody's like, what? I have never heard that verse in my life. I'm supposed to let my light shine. Like, we are, we've all been in the Christmas Eve service where we all got the candlelight and, you know, this little light of mine. Or, I don't know what we sing at Christmas. We probably don't sing that one at Christmas. It's, you know, oh, holy night. You know, but anyways. Right, but we all, like, know this kind of the concept and the idea. But, 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 but get this. What he doesn't say is make your light shine work hard to make your light shine. He just simply says, let it. This ought to be the natural outer working of who we already are. In other words, stop putting things in the way of your light shining because if you are light, if you were darkness and you are light, then the primary thing that we're fighting against is not to become light, it's to allow our light to shine in ways that we have hidden the light. Let me make that more practical again. At your job. There are areas, my guess, where you have an opportunity to love somebody, to serve somebody, to be selfless. There's an opportunity that you have to forgive somebody. There's an opportunity that maybe you have to intentionally befriend somebody, to care to somebody's need, to care more than meeting your quarterly KPIs and, you know, whatever metrics that you have in your, you know, biannual corporate review. He says, no, 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 no. Like, in those areas, I want you to be intentional about letting your light shine not trying to compartmentalize your Christianity. And some of us take this as, okay, so now i got to preach the gospel everywhere. Hey. He's saying, no, 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 you have to live the gospel everywhere. Smash the sacred and secular divide. You are no more holy in this room than you are in the office on Tuesday. You are no more holy in this room than you are at your house when your kids are going nuts on Thursday. You're no holy in this room than you are on Monday with your roommate and you're sleeping in and you're trying to get to class or whatever it might be. He says, no, no, it's the same thing. But examine the ways that you are light, but you're hindering your light from shining. He says, for the fruit of light, in case you're wondering, this is three things that he says that are helpful, but, but they're more of, they're, they're not these are the only things, they're the, the tip of the iceberg, they're kind of like encapture the idea. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good. Good isn't just like, oh, that's good. Yeah, I had, I had, um, I had some sushi at that restaurant Dow last night, went for Chris Adams' uh, birthday. It was good. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is good is this sense of benefit or benevolence towards the other, that I'm going to do things, again, intentionally for you. So I'm going to do things that maybe deny myself that is for your good, and I'm going to do good things for people. All that is good, all that is right, that has a sense of morality to it, the uprightness. 
in truth, in true, which defines what is right. He says this, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love how he says that because let's be honest. Um, well, before we be honest, let me tell you this. So I have a class that I teach on Tuesday here, and by teach, I mean we have a conversation that we all discuss on Tuesdays here, um, and it's called Ask Me Anything, where basically you can ask me anything, right? And so there's kind of subjects that we send out, and anybody's welcome to come to any week. You can drop in for a week if you want to. We have broad, you know, broad subjects and whatnot. But one of the things that I talked about in that class is, man, is so much of life is gray, Right, like so much of life is great. And the Bible a lot of times is black and white, but how you pragmatically live out the principles of Scripture into the context where we are is very gray. And let that he stops and acknowledges that. He says, okay, so I want you to find out, I want you to discern what pleases God because sometimes what hinders our light, what hinders our light is the fact that we just haven't taken the time to say, God, what pleases you in this situation? Because I know as soon as I said something about work, you were like, I know I know, I know who I should love, freaking Julia, you know, or Ken. And you start thinking about it, and all of a sudden, isn't this true? When the rubber meets the road on this of how you let your light shine, the complexities and the nuance of life take over. All of a sudden, we're inundated with gray. We're inundated with, what do I do? What do I do with the fact that I have this person who's at work whom I know needs light and I know needs Jesus and I know maybe they already know Jesus, but they just need to to be awake to some stuff that's going on in their life. But what's the balance of personal and professional? Find out what pleases the Lord. Okay, well, I know that I should be light, but let me just tell you, this person is exhausting to me. They're emotionally draining, personally draining to me. And every time I'm in a conversation with them, I just can't wait to get out of the conversation. So what do I do with that? How do I, how do I help without hurting? It's a great question. But his point is, is in the nuances of life, here's, here's, here's just the general idea. Have we taken time to pray and say, how do I handle this nuanced situation? God, what have you called me to in this context, what does love require and what does light look like in a way that pleases you, God? Because some of us will go into the nuances and the complexities of letting our light shine, and we are just a perpetually dimly lit bulb, right? And, and nobody ever sees it shine because of the fact that it's so covered. Because we never took time to say, what does love require of us? What does truth require of us? What does light require of us in this situation? Um, and the other side of it is some of you, man, you're just, you have, like, everybody's eyes are closed. And you just sounded one of those old school, like, alarm clocks with a magnet light flashing in somebody's eyes, right? And they're like, I don't know what I see, but whatever I see, I want to punch it, right? Like, it's just so big, so bold, so abrasive. And are there times for both of those? Yeah. He says, I want you to think about what pleases God. So walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light 
is found and all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says this, so take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, here's what I want you to do, expose them. So here's what I want you to understand. I want you to take no part in that, but I want you to expose that. Now, here's why I say there's a personal holiness and there's a public kind of testimony to this whole chapter and thought idea. It's because of two things. Number one is that his assumption here is that we're exposing things that are outside of us, but the assumption is working off the base premise that we have already been exposed internally in ourselves. In other words, it's really hard to show somebody else light if I currently have areas in my life where I'm walking in darkness. So he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds, the pointless deeds. They are an exercise in futility because this world is passing away. Instead, I want you to do something else. Not just try to get rid of them. Not just try to brush them under the rug and pretend they're not big, that big of a deal. He says, I want you to expose them. So let me ask you this. Have you acknowledged the areas of darkness? As a Christian, I'm talking to specifically Jesus followers here. Have you seen areas of darkness in your own life and intentionally exposed them? Or have you seen areas in your life and lived in such a way that you tried to minimize them and pretend like they're not there? The truth is, is that most of us live in such a way, again, we try to minimize, push aside, minimize, push aside, minimize, push aside. Consequently, we don't really live into that much of holiness, and we're trying to project a light that we currently have covered because there's areas in our life that are darkness. If you struggle with pornography, does anybody know? If you struggle with adultery, does anybody know? If you're not generous, does anybody know? What's the area of life that you're kind of trying to push people aside and push people away? You don't want anybody to ask about that area because and then when they do, you kind of get a little bit bowed up, you get a little bit offensive. Let me ask you, why is that? If you have areas where you're really struggling with forgiveness, somebody has done something to you, does anybody know? Is anybody praying for you? We oftentimes don't live in a way that our light becomes light to the world around us because we're living in personal darkness and we have those places and those areas hidden. But here's what he says. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see those areas and expose them first in yourself, and then that gives you the moral authority to do it to the rest of the world. Because if you're in here and you're not a Christian, isn't this true? One of your biggest problems with Christians is they try to expose the world to the morality of the light of Jesus without living it themselves. And so you see that and you think, <laughs> wait, why would I be held accountable to your standard that you don't even live to? Not even that you don't live to, that is supposed to apparently, because what Ben said, not even you're supposed to like live into that, that's supposed to define who you are and be the natural outer working of who you are. And so I love what he says. He says, hey, if there's areas of darkness, so there's areas of darkness, I want you to do something. I want you to be very, very intentional about exposing them. Continues. He said, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. He says, for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And I love how it says that. Let me tell you what I love about that. He says, it's 
shameful. It's shameful. You know, is some of the things shameful? Yes. But being shameful doesn't have to be an outside, always, judgment to the inside. Make this clear. For most of us, the areas that we live in darkness and refuse to expose in the light, it's because there's shame that's involved. Shame. And we feel shame over our sin. You know what's interesting about that, though? You know what I, you know what I think the gospel is just so important to continually be driven into us? There's a difference. So I've recently started going to therapy, which I'm sure you're going to hear about in plenty of sermons. This is probably going to be my sermon content for the next, like, several months. You know, classic young person oversharing personal stuff. You get it. But I was talking to him, my therapist, Dr. Zoda, and he's a savant. He's a savant. He's, he's incredible. Um, he was saying this. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says I've done bad. Shame says I am bad. Guilt says I've done bad, and shame says I am bad. And I'm okay with acknowledging, admitting things that I have done bad. But when it gets to I am bad, that's a core piece of identity. And here's why the gospel is so magnificent. Here's why you have to get this. Because when we hear that, we feel bad, which is wildly normal. But notice what the gospel says. You are bad. You have sinned. You are alienated from God, but thanks be to God that he gave us Jesus that we don't have to be that person anymore. We don't have to live in shame anymore. That Jesus covers our shame. That his truth, his word, us being light, us being new creations, we know how no longer have to live in shame because here's what we realize, that the only realize I am light is not because I'm good. He says, actually, don't associate with darkness. Instead, be light. You were once darkness. You are light in him. In other words, the only reason that we are light is because of Jesus or else we would be in our sin and shame. So at the point where we feel like, man, I just want to cover up and hide, what a beautiful opportunity for us to experience the love of God through the gospel, which says, yes, you're sinful, and yes, you're still fully chosen and loved. Yes, you're sinful, but I love you more than you will ever know. Yes, you've made mistakes, but I love you more than you could ever imagine. Yes, you're sinful, but I have sacrificed more than you will ever know. Yes, you're sinful, but I want you to know there is no sin that you can do that will separate my love from you. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and they felt shame, and they covered themselves up, which is what we do. You want to know what the first thing that God did in Genesis 3? An animal was slain so that their shame could be covered. You want to know what Jesus did? He was slain so that our shame could be covered. You want to know what we do? We simply allow this light to shine by letting the areas of shame be exposed to light. For one time you were darkness. You are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
Verse 13, this is the beauty, this is the transformation. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. It becomes visible. I don't think anybody's like, wait, what? So when a dark room meets light, it becomes light? Man, let me write that down. That was complex. He says, but I do want you to know this. That the only way to turn something from darkness to light is to let it be exposed to light. But when we let it exposed to light, then it becomes light itself. In fact, he, he continues to say that. But when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. In other words, you want to know how to continually fight this struggle with sin that we use and that can kind of captures us and traps us and ensnares us and in different ways creates avenues and baskets that try to limit our light that is already inside of us that should be working out and should be going to other places? He said it's simple. You just shine a light in that area. Let me give you two really, really quick, uh, two really, really kind of quick but not easy um, points of application for this. Number one, first and foremost, when you acknowledge that there's areas of darkness and areas of shame, your first move is to go to God. A lot of times it's like our first move is to go to somebody else. I need to tell somebody else. Yeah, 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 that's, that, that's good. But you go to God and say, God, before you and before you only have I sinned. God, this sin has been against you, and I have been hiding it from you. I have been actively trying to love that I'm secretly trying to hide from that God. And so, God, I need you to know about this. I need to confess this. I need to be honest about this. And God, on top of that, you simply pray, God, who is it that you would like me to share this with? Now, for most of us, we can probably think of some areas and some things that we need to confess to God and that we need to confess to some people. But if you're in the boat that you're like, you know, no, I'm, I mean, yeah, I've got some stuff here and there, but I struggle from time to time, but it's not that bad. Here's what you need to know. You need to set up accountability now while you're healthy because it's incredibly painful to do it when you're not. And in fact, doing it when you are healthy, creating areas of people that shine light into different areas of our life when we are healthy, creates the need or creates a lot less need for us to do that later because they oftentimes help us to miss those areas. Now, let me just be honest. For me, I know that this is massively important because here's what I also know about me. Speaking of projection, here's what most people want. Most people want a perfected version of their pastor, right? You want to come to me and you want to ask me a question in the public's aisle about Lamentations 12, right? Like I'm going to be like, oh, actually, it's funny because the Hebrew in Lamentations says this, right? You want me to kind of like have it like memorized, have this perfect thing, have so much time that I can be at your every single need and be at the bedside but deliver these incredible sermons and lead the organization at the same time. I'm like, y'all can kick rocks. I'm going to sell sausage, right? If you don't know what that means, you're going to catch up in a little bit. I'm bivocational. Anyways, what I know for me is this is important because left to myself, I can, like every single other person, have areas of darkness. And so William Colley, our executive pastor, and I meet every single Friday. We have done this for probably a decade now. Every Friday or as every Friday that we're in town, we meet together and we just talk. And we talk, how is your life? How is your family? 
How is your personal time with God? And how is work, but not how is work, how is the church going? How are you dealing as this person who is in this context where there's a lot of pressure? Because most people want the perfected version of me. They don't want the areas of darkness version of me. But I know that if I wait until I have areas of darkness to shine that light, it's going to take much longer than it ought to. Because I try to hide like everybody else. And so William and I meet on a regular rhythm, and we understood this and realized this long ago. That we both need someone in our lives that's shining light into those areas. And so he says, man, when those areas of darkness are exposed to the light, oftentimes they become light. Or as you know, Paul would say it differently. In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Maybe the area of sin that we're dealing with needs to be exposed in such a way, held accountable in such a way, to God first and then to the people who are closest to us. So that when people see us and we walk into a space, what, what naturally happens is that you are light. And he finishes by saying this. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... It's interesting. There's a couple of verses in Isaiah that they think he pulls from. But as best we can tell, this is kind of like a hymn from the early church. And I'll finish with this. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The first time I read that, I thought, what on God's green earth does that have to do with this? Besides similar imagery. But I think here's what it is unintentionally left to ourselves, we can live as Christians, not as light, but as darkness. And we just basically live not like we're dead because we're not dead anymore. We're just asleep. We're walking through life asleep, spiritually asleep. And if this morning, here's a good thing. If this morning you realize that's you, and that there's areas of darkness that you need light in, if you realize that there's places in your life that you need to become awake in, Asleep people can't realize that they were asleep. You only realize when you're asleep once you're awake. So if today you are awake and you realize that I was asleep, I was in darkness, there was areas in my life, then what you are to do now, what we are to do now, is rise from the dead. In other words, we are to leave that old person behind and walk into and towards Jesus, and he will shine on us. And here's why I think this matters so deeply. If we were committed as people, as individuals, to living in such a way that we're constantly exposing the darkness in our life, exposing it to the light in intentional ways so that in the internal of who we are, we are light. When we walk into dark and difficult and hurting and broken places and spaces like is so common in our world, here's what happens. We naturally illuminate the room. We don't try to have to figure out how to make our light shine brighter. Our light already shines plenty bright. We just have to be intentional about the exposing the areas of darkness within our light. So that way when you walk into the room, people know that the culture has just shifted. Things have just changed. You now as Christians, you are not 
you are no longer thermometers. You are thermostats. You don't just reflect the temperature in the room. You set the temperature in the room. That everybody might be doing one thing, but you're going to do something because you're going to look and say, what pleases God in this situation? Everybody else might hold a grudge, but you're not going to. Everybody else might talk about freaking, you know, Kelly or whatever her name is or Ken or whatever his name is, right? But you are going to live in such a way that you are actively exposing light. And it's not that you have to then go say, Here's what you ought to do, and here's why you're sinful. Because when people see that, you know that. And the reason I know that is because almost every single person here who is a Christian, you saw that in somebody before you believed in Jesus. For most of us, that was your progression. Almost everyone who comes to Jesus comes to Jesus on the arms of somebody they love and trust. And the reality is, you probably saw it and were exposed to the light long before you came light. But once you are exposed to the light, it now becomes obvious, the darkness. So let me just conclude by saying a couple things. Number one, if you're in here and you're a Jesus follower, what's the area of darkness that needs to be exposed? Not in order to become a son and a daughter of God, because you are, but so that you can live out that identity. What's that area? And number two, would you be willing to have the courage to just confess it to God and find one person to talk to about it? Confess it to God. Talk to God. And then find one person to talk to about it. And my guess is, as that light defines you more and more, as you walk into the places and spaces of darkness, you will do what light always does which is to illuminate and expose areas of darkness. I think if we did this, just a group our size, it would change the culture of our city, frankly. We, in our light, is the primary witness God uses to a skeptical world. We ought to live like the light that we are. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much that you give us the opportunity. Though we know we love you, though we know we trust you. God, we oftentimes don't walk in love and we oftentimes don't walk in light. God, I pray this morning would be a wake-up morning for many of us. This morning would be a morning that we acknowledge the sin, the depravity that's happening in our hearts and in our lives the anger that's taken root, the frustration that's taken root, the selfishness that's taken root, the ways that we've been unloving or unkind or harsh to our spouse or to our family would take root. God, I pray whatever that area of darkness is for each and every one of us, we would know that we're not that person anymore. We're not darkness anymore. We have a new identity. And these things that we do to expose isn't to try to become. It's simply to try to live into the person that we already are. The identity that we already have in you, Jesus. So would you give us the courage to be willing to admit the areas of darkness in our life, 
and to confess them to you first and to find one other person that we trust, that we can confide in as well. And I pray, Jesus, as we expose areas of darkness in our own lives, that the community and the world around us would be transformed as our light is no longer covered up. But hopefully it exposes and transforms the world around us. So would you give us the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.